We have got into a lot of complaining about our cities. We have to fix them. We have to overcome unaffordability. We have to deal with gentrification. We have to deal with inequity. We have to make them in more inclusive, but they really are our economic drivers and generators. They really point us to a better future. I took my Corvette, loaded it up, and put every bit of my clothes and stuff in it to where I could see just enough through the mirrors to get to California. Uh, well, I'm an actor, but I uh, can't completely pay my rent yet doing that, but I'm getting closer. I think that my room alone is double what I used to spend in San Diego, just for a bedroom. It's small. You can have both. You can have a huge population of very wealthy people and at the same time continue to have a city that is open to all and allows for economic mobility. And if we continue to price uh, the poor and even middle-income folks out of Los Angeles, we are making the American dream harder to achieve for millions of people. Oklahoma is a place where you go to, to die. You don't go there to build up, you know? You come to California to build up, go back to Oklahoma to die. There you go. There goes, the there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. Good morning. Welcome to Central Casting. This is for new registration. On a recent chilly morning, there was a long line outside of a nondescript building in the San Fernando Valley. The people in that line have left their hometowns and families behind and have come to Los Angeles for a shot at something better. They hope to get cast as extras in movies and TV shows. It's L.A. and it's Hollywood and, you know, you know, the old cliche. It's where dreams are made, right? <laughs> Jennifer Bender is the vice president of Central Casting. Yeah, there really is a company called Central Casting. Oftentimes they've come from other states, other places of the country, and they've just arrived. Sometimes they drove in last night and they arrived here or they just arrived recently and this is their first stop to get work in Los Angeles. And this is kind of the first rung for a lot of them, right? This for making a life in LA. Absolutely, absolutely. Many times they come here, they don't even know what they want to do, but they know they want to be in the entertainment business. Even before these newcomers get their first gig, they've got another challenge, finding an affordable place to live. Sean Walsh, who's 23, drove over a thousand miles to stand in this line. I came from Oklahoma for uh, a better beginning, a new beginning. And the uh, cost of living down here is, <laughs> it's kind of crappy. Like, it, it, co it costs a lot of money to live here. I asked Sean, who's here with his brother, how they're getting by. Well, living situation now is um, in a car. Yeah. So you're just, just park overnight someplace? And... Yeah, we just park, you know, train station over there because we can park nine hours at a time, sleep during the nighttime at the train station and... In the morning, come to Central Casting, and that's it. Actor and musician Chris Judd came to L.A. from a small town in the California desert. He says his housing anxiety is pretty much constant. How long have you been here? Seven years. Seven years. Coming up in September. Anytime se during those seven years where it's like, I don't know where the hell I'm going to live or oh. where I'm going to go. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a daily thing for me. It's a, a thought that passes through my head every single day that I have to counteract with... Um, positivity and just saying, hey, no, this is like the place to be. Anything else just seems boring to me. And here's the thing. What Chris just said, I heard that from pretty much everyone I talked to in the central casting line. Yeah, L.A. is a tough place to live, they say, but there's no place they'd rather be. And there's no way they're going back to wherever they came from. Let's do it. Let's hit, let's hit on all eight cylinders. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's do it. I'm in Cali. There's no better opportunity 
than California. None. Cal LA in particular. Yeah, exactly. I went to see the ocean for my first time yesterday in my whole 23 years of life. Yes. And it was, it was beautiful. I'm Saul Gonzalez, and this is There Goes the Neighborhood L.A. A lot of people love Los Angeles and think this is the place they have to be to get ahead. But L.A. isn't the population magnet it used to be. Here's KCRW's Anna Scott. Right. Our population is still growing, with almost 4 million people in the city of L.A. as of this year. But that growth is from babies being born, immigrants from other countries, and people living longer. It's not because of people moving here from other states. That's true all over California. One person who's researched this is Philip Reese, a reporter for the Sacramento Bee. For the past 15 or 16 years consecutively, there have been more people leaving California for other states than coming here from them. So who's moving out? Philip recently analyzed about a decade's worth of census data, and he found that low-income people are fleeing California. So a net loss of our impoverished of about 800,000. And where are people going? Texas. Texas and neighboring states to us, pretty much anywhere where it's cheaper to live. And Texas has been the main beneficiary of this trend, if you will. When he said Texas, I immediately thought of Aura Valenzuela. She's the single mom I interviewed for episode one. She's facing eviction from her rent-controlled Hollywood apartment. And when I asked her where she might go next, she said maybe someplace else in L.A. County or... Possibly in the future, moving out of California. Texas, Oklahoma, or Michigan. So it sounds like if Auda's family moves to Texas, she'll find a lot of other ex-Californians there already. Yeah. And meanwhile, who's moving in? Philip looked at the L.A. metro area, which includes Los Angeles and Orange counties. We've seen a net gain in particular of people who are um, wealthy, if you will, or relatively wealthy. And um, it really shows up if you look at those with and without a college degree. The Los Angeles metro had a net gain in the last decade of over 20,000 residents with college degrees, even though the metro lost over 250,000 people who are at or near the poverty line. And the professions with the highest net gain were software developers and physicians. So when people see how high housing prices are lately and they wonder who can afford that, that, that's really part of the answer, right? Yeah. L.A. is attracting well-educated people, doctors and tech workers. It's right there in the data. Meanwhile, cashiers, retail workers and truck drivers are moving out, to name a few. This is also a story of race. There are a lot more Latino and Black people moving out than in. That's true of whites and Asians, too, but the disparity is way bigger for brown and black people. So what happens to a city when only rich people can afford to live there? You'll hear more about that in a minute. First, though, where are the people who are moving to L.A. coming from? Well, a lot of the time they're coming from states with an even higher cost of living than California. Here's Philip. We had a net gain of residents from New York where it's in many places even more expensive to live than here. Places like Brooklyn. There's a certain point where you just graduate out of New York, or you're just like, I'm too old for this shit, you know? Alex Howell and his wife, Yaz Yaganagi, moved this year from Brooklyn's Clinton Hill neighborhood to Venice Beach. They moved here for Alex's new job, doing marketing for a yoga website. They picked Venice because they wanted to live near the beach, and Alex can bike to work. Yaz works from home for an Israeli startup. 
They live in a 1920s Spanish duplex. They pay almost $4,000 a month for it, and they see it as a good deal. We really lucked out with where we landed now. You know, in the apartment we were in in Brooklyn, the rent that they put it up for after we left was 3800 and we're renting this place for 3800 and we have a two-bedroom versus, like, a glorified studio there. So far, they love it here, even though they find L.A.'s culture to be a little bit different than New York's. I, I definitely was asked to hold a crystal in a work meeting. That was a surprise. We're leaning in. I've done some weird things, like I bought $30 Manuka honey, you know. I've spent probably like $150 on fresh juices already. But, you know, it's all in the name of a healthier West Coast lifestyle, so we're very happy. I asked how much of their income they spend on rent. Um, so let's just round up to four, 48. Um, so 15%. Or no, yeah, it's, no, it's closer to 20 20%. Yeah. So like a, a fifth yeah. of take-home pay. Yeah. That's a really good ratio. Yeah. I mean, compared to many, you know. That's... Yeah. It still feels, though, I mean, there's this like psychological thing about it feels like you're flushing that money every month. That amount creates this urgency in my mind to, to like want to own something. But guess what? Even they feel priced out of the markets they'd like to buy in neighborhoods near the beach. You open Zillow. And all it is is like a sea of houses that are like $1.3 million and north of that. We're doing really well for ourselves. And yet it still feels basically unattainable, which means, okay, do we live in Baldwin Hills? Maybe, I don't know, Inglewood. We reported on Inglewood earlier in this series and how the tech industry near the beach puts a lot of pressure on housing prices there. Well, this is what it looks like from Venice. I asked Alex what he'd say to those who might see him as just another gentrifier, making the city more expensive. I feel great guilt all the time. It's like, I don't know how to not be myself. But I, I like, this is who, I don't, I'm, I'm the problem everywhere I go in terms of neighborhood change, you know? Like, it's, I've lived in, like, all of the amenity-rich, stereotypical cities that everyone's moving to. I lived in the Northeast in Portland. Uh, I lived on the east side of Austin for four years. But I'm acutely aware of our role in this. I just don't really know how to not, <laughs> how to be a part of the solution without being a part of the problem also. Up next, people who've had it with LA and are saying, I'm out of here. When the Gold Line train arrives at the Highland Park station between downtown L.A. and Pasadena, passengers get off in a rapidly gentrifying part of Los Angeles. And change is just steps from the station, at an apartment building once known as the Marmion Royal. The building has new owners, and they've priced out 50 families over the past year as they've remodeled it and raised rents. Lizzie Brumfield and her fiancé were evicted this past summer from the Marmion. The couple and their baby stayed at his sister's place for a few months. I was putting a lot of stress on my family to look for a place, especially here in L.A., not having uh, the ability to afford what's around the area. 
After a while, it just gets overwhelming living with someone else. You kind of want your own place after that. Now they're leaving L.A. KCRW producer Miguel Contreras met up with them on moving day. Lizzie and her fiancé looked in L.A. and then in Bakersfield before they finally found an affordable apartment. We actually got one in Hammond for $9.25. It's a two-bedroom, two-bath. So it has more space for us. It's just taking so much of a hassle to get out there. Hemet, where they're moving to, is an exurb about 90 miles southeast of L.A. in Riverside County. Uh, we're going from being close to family to living practically almost two hours away. Hemet, that's kind of a refuge for people priced out of L.A. Yeah, actually that area has been a magnet for Angelinos for a long time. Because it's cheaper to live out there. Dad, this isn't going to fit. What? This isn't going to fit. Lazy's father and brother are lugging a bed out of her storage unit. It's one of those heavy, adjustable ones you see in infomercials. This is Lizzie's dad, Christopher. It hurts my daughter and her boyfriend and the baby, you know, and it's wrong, but unfortunately there's nothing to do about it. And it hurts you? Yeah. I mean, now I, it's probably going to be a lot harder to go see my granddaughter, you know, see my daughter. Lizzie's fiancé, Christian, works as a security guard in Hollywood. He's looking for a job near Hemet, but he doesn't have one yet. So his plan for now is to crash somewhere in L.A. during the week and go back to Hemet on weekends. So it's kind of going to be hard being separated from my daughter and obviously my fiancé, but uh, we have to make what's best right now. So for the time being, Lizzie plans to be with their 11-month-old daughter in Hemet on their own. All right. We're done, right? That's everything? everything yeah, well... That's it, everything. It's time to say goodbye. Well, no more uh, L.A. traffic, put it that way. Uh, I'm excited. Start a new chapter. Hello? Hi, Lizzie, it's Miguel. Four weeks after moving, they're trying to figure it out down in Hemet. It's been working out a lot better. Um, the transition was very hard, especially for me. I was bored out of my mind up here. I had nothing to do except take care of my daughter and then go to school, uh, which is online, obviously, so I'm stuck at home. A few weeks ago, Christian's employer transferred his job as a security guard from Hollywood to nearby Moreno Valley. His job is really good. There's a lot of overtime, so he's pushing in a lot more hours than he did over there. And you said it turned out for the better? Yeah, it is. It is working out very well. I mean, it sucks because we're not anywhere near home. Once things are more situated, we'll be able to go down more often. But for sure, around the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, that type of uh, time, we'll be down there. We won't be spending it up here by ourselves. We'll be with family. One person who's thought a lot about the long-term consequences of people like Lizzie leaving Los Angeles is Richard Green. He directs USC's Lust School of Real Estate. Green says if L.A. doesn't fix its housing affordability crisis, we could end up looking a lot like another California city. We're sort of following San Francisco in this regard. If you look at San Francisco, if you look at L.A. 50 years ago, and if you look at their income distributions, they were very similar to the country as a whole. So big middle class, some rich people, some poor people, but like the country as a whole. City of San Francisco now basically has two kinds of people in it. It has very rich people and people in rent-controlled units and some people with subsidized housing, and that's it. The middle class 
in San Francisco has shrunk dramatically. We're seeing that here play out in Los Angeles. We are importing people with college degrees, so that's great, but we're exporting people who don't have college degrees. And ultimately, that's going to play out so that almost everyone here is either in a high-paid profession or an immigrant, and that will be the character of the city. Whereas 50 years ago, 50, 30 years ago, Los Angeles was very much a middle-class city. And those immigrants who still remain here, they're, they're kind of become essentially a service class for, for the, the wealthy or the upper middle class, and they provide – they're the gardeners, the nannies, the – Exactly, and you don't have to look too far to see that that's exactly what's going on. A lot of other people could stay in L.A., but they figure why. They take a good, hard look at the city and say, hey, Los Angeles, the problem is you, not me in this relationship. I'm leaving you for someplace that's less expensive and high maintenance. Psychologically, it's a lot easier to be the one dumping L.A. than to feel like you're the one who's been dumped. Take Southern California native Mason Cooley, for example. He always felt like this was his home. But as he told KCRW's Anna Scott, when he and his wife drove out of L.A. on their way to Asheville, North Carolina, a few years ago, he suddenly didn't feel that way anymore. I didn't really expect it, but this sort of overwhelming feeling that it was terminal came over me. <laughs> I just kind of realized that, you know, when you leave L.A., you're essentially already replaced by so many other people coming in. And I never really felt like Los Angeles was the kind of city that was going to miss you or something. I don't know if that sounds weird. Mason's 43 years old. And four years ago, he was working as an art professor at Cal State Long Beach, earning about $50,000 a year. His wife's an optician, and they both make custom furniture on the side. When I left L.A. in 2014, we were renting a house in Van Nuys, and the rent was $2,300 a month. Was that a two-bedroom, two-bath? Yeah, it was actually a pretty good size. I mean, I was I was lucky to find it. You know, I didn't really like living in Van Nuys, but it was really the only place I could afford to rent that size house. They wanted to buy a house, but it seemed financially impossible here. And, you know, I think when I was younger, in my 20s, I kept thinking like, oh, I know, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it'll, it'll happen. There'll be an opportunity. And then I hit 40 and I was like, <laughs> uh, I still don't have any opportunity here to really purchase anything. And so as the rent increased, yeah, it was really frustrating. They picked Asheville because they'd read some articles about it. It's a small mountain city known for its art scene, and they thought it sounded nice and affordable. Now they own their own home. They built it themselves on two acres of land that they got by trading a bunch of custom furniture. It's modest, a 900-square-foot apartment over a furniture workshop, but it allows them to live mortgage-free. We did have some cash saved up, and I was able to budget without taking a construction loan out. The whole thing cost about $100,000. Mason doesn't plan to ever move back to Los Angeles. We really love it here. But he says an interesting thing is happening in Asheville. He's meeting more and more people like himself, new arrivals from other cities escaping high housing prices. If you go out at a restaurant or a cafe or you just run into somebody random, more often than not, the story they share is like a very similar story. And people are from New York and Brooklyn and Los Angeles and Portland and Austin. And the cost of living, I mean, it's not Los Angeles, but it's definitely rising here. What Mason is noticing is real. 
Asheville's population grew about 7% between 2010 and 2016, according to census numbers. It's still small, less than 90,000 people within city limits, but it's growing. Mason's advice? If you have any uh, extra money laying around, you can invest it here. The median home value in Asheville is about $257,000, less than half of what it is in L.A. But in the past year, it's gone up almost 10%. What's happening in Asheville, Los Angeles, and so many other cities around the country, it's a kind of economic sorting. And it's part of a national phenomenon that's way bigger than any single city. Property, as with a lot of other wealth in the society, is becoming more and more concentrated. And the more concentrated it becomes, um, in some ways, um, the weirder the market is in terms of how it functions. Cynthia Strathman is the executive director of Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. She says gentrification is tied to nationwide, even global economic forces. So, how can you ever address that at the city level? What can Angelinos who want to live in an economically and racially diverse city do? I think you actually hit on a really key question because part of the problem is that the forces that impact gentrification are largely national or supranational, whereas the tools that we have to address land use concerns are largely municipal. But I think there are ways that you can intervene. But how? Next time on There Goes the Neighborhood LA, we've spent a lot of time talking about Los Angeles' problems. But what are some solutions when it comes to housing and gentrification? We've committed on our land that 35% of the units built on Metro-owned land will be affordable to low-income families. So we're saying we're making a commitment to affordable housing, and that commitment is made in spite of how challenging it is to have enough public subsidy to do it all. So it stands to us to figure out with our city partners how to make that happen. Listeners, we really want to hear your opinions about this show. Why did you move to where you live? Or why did you leave where you used to live? Go to kcrw.com slash there goes the neighborhood. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, so subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe. There Goes the Neighborhood's reporter is Anna Scott. Our producer is Miguel Contreras. Celeste Wesson is our editor. Sonia Geis is our managing editor. Our recording engineers are Joel Stein, Ray Guarna, and J.C. Swadek. At WNYC Studios, our producer is Paige Cowett. Our executive producer is Karen Frillman. And Casey Means is our technical director. Our composer is Hannes Brown, with additional music by Terrence Blanchard. I'm Saul Gonzalez. This series is supported by the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation. Thanks for listening. <laughs>